everyone. Welcome to episode 45 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. I'm Chris. And we have a very special guest with us today. I'm the third middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> Except I can't do the, like, rawr thing that you guys have down so well. Um, hi, I'm Ann Kingman. Um, I don't even know how to introduce myself anymore. Isn't that weird? Formerly of Books on the Nightstand. Would that work? Sure. sure, which will make a lot of people start crying hysterically yeah. no. right now. <laughs> you guys have done such a great job of keeping people informed. They don't need us anymore. Aww. You guys have just so taken nice. the mantle and carried it so well. So, <laughs> thank you. No thank worries. You. Well, but you also are a book rep. I always get this wrong, but is that correct? A book rep for Penguin Random House. You can call it whatever you like. Yes, sales rep. Some people call it sales manager, book rep, whatever. Um, basically, we talk to booksellers and try to get them excited about our books and try to get them to read our books and help stores figure out what books they need to carry. So um, I describe our job, I think I've said this before, probably in the last podcast I recorded with you guys, um, but I always view my job as talking about books all day to people who love to talk about books. Mm -hmm. So um, not too shabby. (laughs) So how many bookstores do you deal with? Um, I have about 40 40. on my list of regulars. So it's very much a relationship business. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to learn booksellers and, and what they like to read, and they come to trust you or not trust you. Uh, I mean, there are some booksellers who know if I love a book, they're not going to like it. But I also know that like, if I have a book I really don't enjoy, they might be perfect for it. So um, it's not really a matter of taste. It's just kind of getting to know people and mm-hmm. and what they respond to. And and what they're, the people who come to their store respond right. to as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because most of them will... You know, as I'm talking to the buyer, uh, sometimes it comes down to the person. They're like, oh, John Jones is going to love this. You know, okay. I want one for that person. Mm-hmm. And, and so-and-so is really into horses, and here's a horse novel. So, you know, and they will actually, like, write down the customer's name. And some have, like, real sophisticated systems where they'll put it in the computer. And then when the book comes in, they'll call John Jones and say, hey, I have a book for you that you might want to check out. You that's know, so fantastic. I know. It's kind of like having personal shoppers. Right. Yes. That's, that's what I... And yeah. this is why we love... Independent bookstores, because they do things like that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, there's something to be said for that personal touch. And Mm -hmm. I had an experience this afternoon. I was at the art store buying a birthday present for my daughter, and I'm not an artist. And, you know, this this really interesting young man spent, like, half an hour with me. I just went in, and I was like, I have no idea. She wants, like, art supplies, and I don't know. And and he really, he was like, well, what does she like to do? And he did a great job, and, you know, $100 later, when I intended to spend, like, 30 um, But it was just the most fun experience. Yeah, Yeah, the personal touch is important. Yeah. And we're sitting in a really cool bookstore as we record with Anne, which I'm pretty sure I heard about the first time through you I want to say maybe you posted something on Facebook I can't remember possibly Um, it's very close to my house so when they opened I was very very excited I would be excited to have any bookstore open (laughs) you know within 10 minutes of my house but it just so happens that we're sitting at a bookstore called An Unlikely Story in Plainville, Massachusetts and it's really special um, because well partly because the owner uh, Jeff Kinney is the author of Diary of a Wimpy Kid and all the myriad other wimpy kid books. Um, but beyond that, and, and that's you know why a lot of people come here is because it's Jeff Kinney's bookstore mm-hmm. and there's you know wimpy kid motifs throughout the store and things. 
And um, we noticed too, they have overflow parking and overflow parking. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've ever seen it. Yes. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if you don't mind, I mean, I, I know this, some people really geek out on bookstores and, and the story of this particular store is, is interesting because I, I've lived in this area for 25 years and the site that we're on now was a general store mm-hmm. and I think it was open when I first moved to the area, but it was a shell of what it was and it was really run down and then it closed and it sat here abandoned, but it was this really cool old, you know, from the 1800s general store, um, but it wasn't able to be used for anything. It had been condemned and I don't know the whole story, but it was really, it became an eyesore. Um, And this town, I'm not even sure there is one stoplight. You know, they talk about one stoplight towns. I don't know if Plainville actually has a stoplight. Um, It's a very small town. There's not much here. And the centerpiece was this rundown old building. And Jeff Kinney and his wife lived in town, and they just wanted to do something for the town. And so they bought the building, I think, thinking that they would fix it up, but then there was just no way. And so they ended up building this fabulous space. It's three stories. Um, it's all LEED certified. They did everything you know, completely environmentally um, up to gold standards or whatever Um, and they incorporated I don't know if you'll see downstairs they incorporated a lot of the old general store some of the signs and and some of the the wood and some of the furniture was all made from stuff that was in the store so it really I I think you know they it it really feels like a gift to the area Mm -hmm. Um, part of it yes a gift as a bookstore but also just they turned this really hideous corner of this little town into this kind of jewel and um, so people are, are very supportive and very thankful. And so far, I think they've been, you know, busy all the time and, and doing really well. That's so it, it's yeah. a super treat to be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also just really cool. The way it's designed, um, if any of you get a chance to come, definitely do. Um, there's just so many little details throughout the whole building. You know, when you walk in downstairs from the ceiling are flying broomsticks and things like in the bathroom, there's like a little... Um, over the toilet, it says like this way. What is it? This way to the Ministry of Magic. The Ministry, yes, yes. And, you know the Harry Potter font. Um, just little tiny things like that. It's really fun. Um, this table that we're sitting at was from the Boston Garden. Something I forget exactly. Um, some wood or the parquet, something. And then on the floor, on the walls, it looks like the scoreboard of Fenway Park. Like just fun little touches. Yeah, we're sitting in a really great conference room here, just off of uh, the second floor of space which is fantastic yeah yeah Yeah. so it's it's a cool store i mean it's it's not it's large in space um but it feels really cozy Mm -hmm. and the book selection is very curated and there's there's lots to see and look at yeah we only got i think we've had 15 minutes so far (laughs) yeah okay we need to gotta get back down yeah yeah (laughs) shop till we drop yeah so we have ann here because she's going to give us some snippets of books that she just can't wait for us to read. Yeah. So you said six. You said pick six. <laughs> and then I said question <laughs> mark. <laughs> so I made a short list off the top of my head and got to 13. I was like, oh, I better stop. No, I'm not going to talk about all 13. Well, he's Chris and I will be 13. Yeah, I'm not going to be quiet and let you talk. No, 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 no. I, I want, this is a conversation. I can't just like, you know, speak. Um, no, so, and it's, most of the titles I've chosen, I think, won't be out for a little while, so please don't be mad at me, listeners. No, that's fine. Um, They'll be happy to. But I'm kind of going to do it in pub date order, so the first few will sort of be on, on sale. Um, so the first one that I am really excited about came out in March, and it's called The Sandman by Lars Kepler. 
And uh, I'm a huge serial killer fan, which sounds really bad. <laughs> um, serial killer mystery book fan. I'm scooting um, back from the table. <laughs> fans of books that have serial killers in them. Um, anyway, um, Lars Kepler's actually a married couple. I don't even know their real names. Um, and they're quite young and glamorous looking, if you ever get a chance to Google what they actually look like. But they write under the name Lars Kepler. And I had never read Lars Kepler before. Our publisher, Knopf, introduced this to us and by saying that this is actually the fourth book featuring the main character, Juna, somebody or other. I've, I'm really bad with character names. I'm sorry. But the editor feels, and now I agree, that it's a really good place to kind of enter and you mm-hmm. don't have to have any, any backstory. Um, and so I read this one first, The Sandman. Um, and it is, there's a, the main story revolves around this young man who resurfaced after having been disappeared with his sister when he was really young. And now he's, you know, 20 something. Um, and he kind of shows up and he tells people that his sister is still alive. And so there's this mad search to try to find mm. his sister and also figure out what happened because he's not really communicating what happened to him. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you like Scandinavian mysteries, this one's set in Sweden and um, Lars Kepler, the author in Sweden, outsells Joe Nesbo, mm-hmm. um, Paula Hawking, you know, girl on the train. Like he, he, they, I don't know, I don't know what pronoun to use, um, are a big deal. <laughs> Um, so it's a really great place to start. And then what we did was we went back and we bought the rights to the first three books in the series, had them retranslated, and put brand new covers on them. And so we're slowly releasing those as well. So The Hypnotist, which is the first book in the series, will come out in July, and that'll be in paperback, The Sandman's in hardcover. Um, but I think The Sandman's a great place to start. Um, if you like Joe Nesbo's The Snowman, mm. um, I had a similar reading experience with The Sandman, which is kind of crazy because their titles are so close. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but I think it's a really good comparison. Great. That's nice. But there is a lot of blood and gore. Okay. So if you, I was going to ask yeah. you on the gore scale yeah. what you would say. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, if you're, you kind of know if you like these or not. Like, yeah. this is not a, um, you know, cozy, you know, let's sit by the fire and knit while Miss Marple solves okay. a mystery. No. They're, or as they're I more. say, there's no cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. cups with cupcakes. Yeah, there's there's blood spatter, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, Chris, stuff like Chris, that. <laughs> So when I was choosing the titles that I wanted to talk about, um, some of my favorites are now coming in paperback, as always happens. You know, there's like usually nine months to a year between the hardcover and paperback publication. So I went back to see what I had talked about before, and this I, this book I did mention then. Um, it's called Chemistry by Wiki Wang. Oh, yeah. It just um, came out in paperback April 3rd, and I'm really excited because she just won the Penn Hemingway Award. Oh, she oh. did? Yes, oh, for Chemistry, oh, which um, no. it was just announced this oh, week. Um, oh. The grandson, I think, or great-grandson of Ernest Hemingway will actually be presenting the award to Wiki Wang at the oh. John F. Kennedy Library like very soon. Um, oh, so it's cool. Yeah, it's a really big literary award um comes with some money i think it's like twenty five thousand dollars um but it's just really prestigious and um so what i loved about this novel was it was a really unique voice did you guys either of you guys you know what we went to her event she Mm -hmm. was at rj julia in middletown and we saw her there i didn't read the novel though no but i remember seeing her too and thinking she looks like she's about 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she has like a PhD in public health and an MFA. Like she's yeah. just she's one of those very wonders. Smart. Yeah. And the, the event was really cool yeah. and it made me want to read it and I yeah. just haven't had a chance. So yeah. it's, I'll just be brief because I did talk about it on episode 
15, I think, was the one I was on. Um, but it's this young woman who is in the middle of doing her PhD, and her boyfriend proposes to her, and she doesn't know what to say, and she makes a list of pros and cons, and it turns out to be all pros, but she still just can't bring herself to say yes, and she's failing out of her PhD program, and she, she's just really un emotionally unavailable. But what's interesting in the book is this character does not have the vocabulary to really talk about emotions. So she puts everything in a very scientific context. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a chemist at all, but um, the way that she describes things using scientific analogies was just fascinating to me. Um, and it's kind of a coming of age story, I'd mm -hmm. say, but a character unlike I'd ever read. And, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I could tell in the next scene what was going to happen. Um, and, you know, frankly, not a lot happens, but it's very much an internal um, book about this young woman who really has to force herself to grow up, even though she doesn't want to. <laughs> but it's so good. All right, I'm going to push that further yeah. up on the TV. Right? Yeah. Um, and so there's another book that's um, coming out April 17th that kind of reminded me of chemistry. So I thought I would talk about them kind of together. Um, and this is one for book lovers. I think a lot of us can relate to this. I mean, it's called The Girl Who Never Read Noam Chomsky. <laughs> what a great title. Yeah. Um, and we um, meet the main character of this book, this young woman. Um, she's in a cafe. She's a college student. And she sees this cute guy. And he's reading a book by Noam Chomsky. And she kind of flirts with him. And, like, nothing happens between them. But as soon as she leaves, she goes to the bookstore and she buys the book by Noam Chomsky that the guy was reading because she was like, you know, I never read him. I need to buy this book. And so we follow her through her entire life, and we follow this book by Noam Chomsky, which she immediately puts on her shelf when she gets home, and then, you know, she meets someone else, and then she meets another person, and then she moves to the West Coast with a boyfriend and starts a family, and this book travels with her unread the entire time, you know. <laughs> but with the memory attached to it. Not just the memory, but I think, you know, what struck me is there are some of us, I won't say everybody, but I think a lot of us kind of have these books in our lives that reflect maybe who we want to be, but are not really who we are. Um, yes, I'm talking about you, War and Peace. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that's a book that, like this one, will travel with me, having only been had 75 pages read until the day I die, probably. Um, so it's, you know, I it, again, it's kind of a coming-of-age story, but in this case, we follow the woman through her whole life. And and I just, I really love the, the image of this book kind of acting as a touch point mm. through her whole life. Mm. Um, and it's a really, really good read. And... Um, kind of comforting in a weird way. Like, it's one of those books where there's nothing terribly tragic that happens. You know, it's not devastating. It's just a really kind of gentle read that um, made me just feel really good at the end. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need those. Oh, yeah. I, I yes. prefer that over blood spots. <laughs> <laughs> Call me crazy. Yeah. Um, so that is called The Girl Who Never Read Noam Chomsky, and the author is Jana, Jana Casale, which okay. I don't think I said that before. And she actually studied at Emerson College under Steve Yarborough, who you guys know from a previous booktopia. Yes, oh. I love his yeah. yeah, He is a new one. Out. He does. He does. I can't remember the title of it. Mm -hmm. I can picture it. I know exactly where it is in my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are two novels coming very close together by kind of lions of the British literary genre. Um, the first one is Julian Barnes has a novel called okay. The Only Story. Okay. Um, Julian Barnes's 
earlier novel, uh, Sense of an Ending, is one of my top ten books of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I she really said that love so confidently. <laughs> it is. I know. Well, it takes it takes books a while to kind of be put on mm-hmm. that. I, I have this virtual shelf in my head of, you know, and it's not full. There are not ten books on there yet. Oh, oh interesting. Um, you have to leave room okay. for the French figure skating judge to, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I do. I think you know, Sense of an Ending has has recently been promoted up there and it's not for everybody because it's it's called the sense of an ending and it has a very ambiguous yes. ending mm-hmm. so if mm-hmm. people don't like ambiguous endings don't bother unless you need to get your anger out and throw something against the wall <laughs> um, but I loved it so did you guys read it? I did I did, yeah. I did not I have it I haven't read it yet though yeah. did you throw it against the wall? I did not oh, okay good. Yeah. No, I liked it I All liked right. it alright well the only story which is his new book is Really different. It reminded me a little bit, too, of um, Ian McEwan's On Chesil Beach, mm-hmm. in a weird way. I'm not sure why. But um, the main character is this young man. It's, I want to say it's the 70s. I'm not, I'm not really clear of when it's set. Um, and this young 19-year-old college student who, in the summer, um, goes to this... He's home from university. His mother makes him kind of join the tennis club, which he's very out of place. Um, and he meets... A woman who's 48 years old, she's married, um, they start an affair, um, maybe with the knowledge of her husband, maybe mm-hmm. not, um, and it's told as this man is an older man now looking back on his life and sort of unfolding for us how this summer affair with this woman really changed his entire life mm-hmm. and the impact that it had on his life. And so it's one of those books where the language just really takes the centerpiece. I mean, the writing is just so amazing, and you want to underline sentences and things. Um, And then you take in kind of the world as a whole when you finish. You know, you close it, and you kind of just, like, reflect on You have this picture of this whole, this man's life and and how it all kind of revolved around this one moment. And it's Mm -hmm. it's, I, I really liked it a lot. And it was interesting to think, you know, Julian Barnes is not a young man. I'm sure he's... 60 or 70, I don't really know, um, but how he was able to kind of reflect back and, and still get a lot of that 19-year-old thinking, yeah. Um, yeah. which I can't remember what I had for breakfast, so I'm not yeah, sure exactly. I can ever like, write myself as a teenager, you know? Um, oh, it's all angst, and not yeah. all <laughs> um, And then I brought you guys a little present for the next oh, book. Oh, um, so I don't know if you Ooh, have these. Oh, nice. um, oh this is do you know that we did a read-along? Our first read-along was of the English Patient. Oh, yeah. okay. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I remembered that. Um, so this is Michael Andache's new novel. It's called oh. Warlight. It's coming out on May 8th, and I just gave these guys advance reading copies, which is what the oohies were for. And we're quiet now because we're reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael Andache, obviously the author of The English Patient, um, he won. he's won pretty much every literary prize that there is out there, the Booker, the Giller, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I really love this, um, and I read it a long time ago, so I, I'm not, it, it, you know, sometimes when you read books, you have this, like, image of what, I don't know, I, I think of this, and, and the cover reflects it, and that could be, but I think of it kind of as very foggy, mm-hmm. and it's very foggy out right now, outside, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and rainy, and it just fits, and so when I think of this book, though, kind of that, like, weather image comes to me right mm-hmm. away, but it's set in 1945, and there's a brother and a sister, um, Nathaniel's 14 and his sister is older, um, and his their parents 
kind of suddenly announced that they're moving to Singapore, mm-hmm. but the children are being left behind in London oh under the care of a family friend who they've never really even met. Oh, wow. And so the parents move away, and this, I think he's in his 20s, this man kind of moves in to be their caretaker, and they're supposedly going off to boarding school, but they're kind of miserable, so they end up really just staying at home with this you get this feeling he's kind of a ne'er-do-well, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't really know what's happening, and there's all of these mysterious people who come in and out, and you kind of feel like there's something unsavory happening, but you're not really sure. Um, and so it's that story. And again, it's also told from Nathaniel's perspective as, a, as an older person, looking back, and as he's telling this story, he's putting the pieces together of what was actually happening, oh, which he was totally unaware of when he was so living good. it. It sounds like, like yeah. Wil- Wilkie Collins or Sarah Waters, like her earlier yeah. Victorian novel. Yeah, and yeah. again, it's at like, you know, 45, so, you know, mm-hmm. World War II or slightly post-World War II. Um, but it's, um, you know, it looks at memory and, you know, are, are these people remembering things accurately mm. and does that reflect what you think happened? And it's, it's really, really good. Well, I have these weird memories as a kid too, of like sometimes being in a situation and thinking, this is a lot different than what happens at my house or this is kind <laughs> of odd, like something feels right about it, but I'm. I'm too little to determine what that is. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the youngest in my family, so I think sometimes I was just, you know, watching a movie right. I shouldn't be watching or something like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, it sounds like this has a little bit of that element. Yeah, to yeah. So, um, you know, I know you have a large pile of books to oh, read. I know, I'm excited. Yeah, this is great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And then probably the book I am most excited about. This is going to be... Definitely one of my top five, if not my top one favorite novel of 2018. Um, and I think, well, I'm still reading some 2018 things that'll be out in the fall, but I've read a lot that's either out or coming out. Um, and this is definitely up there. It's called There, There, a novel by Tommy Orange. Um, I know I can't show the cover on the podcast, but I will show you guys. Um, it's orange with very yellow letters that say There, There, and two feathers. Um, it's quite a, a it'll, it'll grab your attention in a yeah, bookstore mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so Tommy Orange is a writer who is Native American. He is an amazing writer, and he writes about the Native American urban experience. Mm-hmm. So the characters in this book uh, live in Oakland, California, and it's told through a number of different characters. And you start, you know, one chapter has one character, another chapter has another, and then they all come together at this powwow that's a big event that happens in Oakland or San Francisco, somewhere in the Bay Area. And so you start thinking that it's kind of a novel of short stories or interconnected stories, and then they come together and it really fleshes out as a whole novel. Um, But what was interesting to me, and I think to a lot of us who've read it and loved it, and it's a favorite of booksellers, I mean, you're going to hear about this all over the place, um, is that it's not the Native American experience that you've read. It's not, you know, on a reservation. Um, It's just, it's the experience that a a lot of people are living today that that we don't hear about. Um, He was a student of Pam Houston, who runs oh. a, um, a writing program in the Southwest, um, specifically for Native American writers. Mm-hmm. And she really um, kind of took him under 
her wing and, and really cultivated him. Um, Louise Erdrich is a huge fan. I mean, there's just a lot of love for this book kind of across all different. Um, and so I, I wanted to get this right. I had to look it up. Um, so he's an enrolled member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma. Oh. Um, and he also lived in Oakland. And so I think a lot of this probably comes from his experience right. as well. Is it a debut? It is. Oh, it is. I mean, I think he's had some short stories published, perhaps. Okay. Um, he won a McDowell, McDowell Fellowship. Um, he's just really, uh, he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. He's definitely going to be a literary star. And the novel is poignant and heartbreaking, and I don't want to give you any plot at all, um, because it's it's just, I, I, the sense of discovery for me, I think, was so important. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no idea going in yeah. how things were unfolding, so, mm-hmm. like, I hesitate to even say anything, but it's just such a worthy read. Mm-hmm. So, I'm look I have to that. get that for my daughter. She loves books like that, so. Yeah. Um, all right. Now on to something completely different, and tell me when I need to cut off, because oh, okay. I don't know how we're doing on time. We're 25 minutes. All right. Yeah. Um, the Book of Essie, which is a novel by Megan McLean Weir, the author's written some nonfiction, but this is, I believe, her first novel. And it's a story of a young woman named Esther Ann Hicks. She's 17, and she's part of a very large family. And this very large family has been the subject of a reality television show for many, many years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, um, Esther Ann Hicks. Essie's father is a pastor in a megachurch, evangelical megachurch. Um, the reality show is called Six for Hicks. Uh-huh. Um, and so she's basically grown up on television. Mm. And now at the age of 17, she's pregnant. And when her mother finds out she's pregnant, what's the first thing she does? Calls the show producer and they get together and try to figure out how to turn this into ratings gold. Wow. And so Essie overhears this plotting and scheming and is not really okay with it. And so she decides to take things into her own hands, and I won't really say any more. But it's kind of a look at reality television. It's also a look at a real disturbed young woman who was never really able to be a child because mm-hmm. she was growing up on television. And it's the story of a woman who decides to kind of take her fate into her own hands. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's told through some um, different characters, you know, alternating chapters, um, and the story comes together. And it's one of those books where I started reading it and thinking, oh, this is going to be like fun, light, fluffy kind of beach reading. And then it got like really serious. And, I, you know, there's definitely a lot that the author has to say um, and that the character has to say. Um, and I really, really liked it. And so I, I hope that it finds its readership. I'm a little worried that people might think that it's light and fluffy and yeah. maybe not give it a chance. What's the cover like? Um, it is, well, it's funny that you asked that because it was, it, it, I've seen many different cover <laughs> renditions of this book. Um, this will be the final oh. one. It's a, it's oh. a, a portrait of a young woman, um, which is really interesting because, you know, there always used to be this rule that you would never show actual people on the cover yeah, because yeah. Uh, readers or... The, the general feeling was that readers wanted to picture the author, the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I now you see actual people on covers all the time, yeah. and and people aren't really complaining. I don't think. And that's um, kind of, it. Kind of gets the serious feel. That yeah, feel like, so. I, I mean, it's just I, I wish I could show you all the different covers that we had. Yeah. Um, uh, thankfully, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, one of my joys of my job is I read everything electronically in manuscript form. So sometimes there's not even a title. In fact, when I started reading the book of Essie, it had a completely different title. Uh-huh. Um, and so I go in not knowing anything usually about the book, and I also have nothing to guide me. So no cover or anything. 
Um, and so, as I say, you can't judge a book by the cover. I don't believe that. You really do judge a book yes. by its cover. Oh, it's yeah. very, very important. Yes. <laughs> Covers have, have led me astray many yeah. times, too, because they don't really portray what's inside yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, they have to capture the mood a lot, too, which is hard to do. Like, sometimes they're so literal, but it doesn't give you a sense of kind of what it's going to feel like to read that book. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because with my e-reader, lots of times I can't get to the cover page Mm. because of the way, like the chapters are listed in such a way that if I try to go back, I get on a chapter instead, you know? So I often now read without the cover and I actually don't pay a lot of attention to covers, which is interesting. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I always will prefer a paper book. um, And so the cover does, Mm -hmm. um, definitely influenced me but I'm I guess I'm lucky that I get to read a lot of things without those mm-hmm. signals telling right. me what I'm supposed to think yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the first time I read an ebook it was really hard for me because I kept wanting to flip to the back yes. of the book yeah. and I mean, I just didn't have that and yeah. I was like this is fascinating to to just stick with the story and yeah not get the frustrating it. thing for me is I never know how much is left mm, like yeah. even when you give it a, a percentage or whatever yeah. like it just doesn't tell me anything yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and there was one book and I thought I it said it had like 24 percent you know so I went up to bed and then like 18 percent of that was footnotes so oh. like I finished it and I was not ready to go to sleep yet you know like, ah. oh that's the worst I hate that <laughs> Um, so, nonfiction. I don't know if we talked about any nonfiction. Um, there's a book coming June 19th called Call Me American, and it's a memoir by Abdi Noor Iftin. Loved this book. Um, Abdi grew up in Somalia, um, and he grew up in Somalia, Somalia during the height of the Civil War. Mm. And much of his life was spent basically just trying to stay alive, mm. trying to keep his family fed, um, and trying to not get conscripted into the army that the guerrilla army or I don't I don't even know what the terminology is you know these basically gangs of um, radical Somalis who wanted to um, you know create this Muslim caliphate or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and they would just conscript boys from the streets Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was a really dangerous place to grow up um, one of the things that got him through was there was a woman in town who, in her little shack, would show American movies. And there'd be, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies. And nobody understood English, but it was just a visual kind of thing. Mm. But Abdi was so taken by it that he decided to try to learn English. And so he taught himself English. Oh. Um, and then during part of the Civil War, some American Marines came in to try to help liberate the city of Mogadishu. Um, and he saw that, and, and these Marines kind of became his hero, and he became, um, they, he had this nickname, the American, um, because mm. he was just so enamored. He'd try to listen to American music. He'd dre- try to dress in American clothes. You know, he learned English, um, and all he ever wanted to do was come to America. And so he spent, you know, from the time he was 14 or 15, and it seemed like something that he actually could try to do, he tried to, to get to America. Um, took him to several different countries, um, and finally he enrolled in the visa lottery, which is one of the things that they're talking about taking, getting rid of now. Um, but he won, and when it's winning the lottery, I mean the numbers were such that it really is winning the lottery. Mm. Like it's not just that you can apply and you know you have a fifty-fifty chance. It's it's a, such a remote chance that mm. you're one of the few people that are chosen, um, and so he was one of those people, and so he came to. Um, 
America. He had a sponsor in Maine. He settled in Maine. And because he knew English, his, his um, transition was, was pretty easy, and he now works with the Somali community in Maine. There are a lot of Somalis there. Um, but his story was just such... I mean, I, I kind of knew a little bit about the Somali Civil War, but I'd never actually like read an experience of someone going through it. Mm-hmm. And um, he's just such an inspiring person. I'm actually going to get to meet him next week, and I'm really excited because he's just one of those guys that I think is going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And from the time he was a little boy, you can see it, like just reading his experiences, yeah. he was always meant to change the world somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so really inspiring, and I think um, in this climate where... There's so much in the news about immigrants and stuff. I'm sure his story, you know, you're going to hear about this book on NPR. He actually already had a um, piece on, I think it was This American Life, did an episode or a part of an episode about Abdi. And so um, he'll he'll be all over you hearing about this book. But it's a really good read, too. I mean, it's not just the inspiring story. I'm not sure if he completely wrote it himself or if he had some help. I mean, he's, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's down as the author um, and it's, it's remarkable. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure he had a lot to do with it. It, it wasn't with a co-writer. He might've had some help, but um, it's, it's a really, really good read. Let's see. Should we, we're at, yeah, maybe do one more. 33? You want one more yeah. or we can stop on that note either way. Well, do one more. One more. We don't want you to be done. All <laughs> right. Well, let's see. You said one more non I don't know. I have any more nonfiction. Oh, okay. So I have to tell. So I do. I have another gift for you. This doesn't come out till August, but it's fun. This is the most fun book I've read in so long. Um, So it's called The Shakespeare Requirement by Julie Schumacher. Um, I don't know if you remember. Julie Schumacher wrote a book um, came out last year called Dear Committee Members. Right. Yeah. And that book was um, written in letters of recommendation. The whole book was letters of recommendation. This is straight prose, and and honestly, I I liked it better. The letters of recommendation were funny, but I got a little tired of the, the conceit after a while. But this book is hysterical. So if you've ever even been on a college campus, like you don't have to work in academia. It's set on a college campus, um, and it's specifically the English department. This man has become the head of the English department very reluctantly. He did not want to be, but he was kind of bullied into it. Um, And it's a university where, like I think a lot of universities now, the liberal arts are not the glorious, shining, you know, achievements that the universities trumpet. Um, And so this is really a lot about that. Um, The English department is in this building, old building that is falling apart. They're in the basement and the first floor. And the economics department has the two floors above them. Well, the economics department has gotten this really nice endowment. And so they've completely renovated only the third and fourth floors. <laughs> and the poor English department still has, you know, leaky pipes and broken computers. Uh, it is. It, the whole thing is just really funny. So it's kind of inside academia. But um, at the same time, this, um, you know, they want to, the university wants to modernize. And they don't want kids, basically, to have to take Shakespeare as a mandatory course. And so the English department, and particularly the Shakespeare professor are revolting about that and you know there's a young woman English student who kind of gets in the middle of it's just really wonderful if you're an English major or you know want to be English major or just love the liberal arts I mean there's just so much here if you work at a university if you work in academia you'll you'll see a lot of truth reflected in this but it's also just really funny um she won the the author won the James Thurber award for dear committee members and she was the first female author to ever win that award um that's an award for humor Mm -hmm. writing um, so she's just she's a great voice, and I just I love this so much. So the I cover, had to bring I that. The cover is yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. it's this bust of Shakespeare with some sunglasses and a wrapper chain. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. 
So that's what I got. That'll keep you busy through August because uh, Shakespeare requirement doesn't come out till August 14th. So um, perfect for back to school. Yeah. And in the show notes, I'll put um, the release dates on all the books that Anne talked about. So great. Um, thank you so much. Well, thank yeah. you for having me. So Sorry fun. to be so long winded. Oh, once no. you get me started, it's hard to stop. I could listen to you talk about this forever. <laughs> and people's TBRs are going to be exploding, okay. including ours. Okay. Well, thank you guys. This thank was fun. Yeah, great to see you. Happy reading, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.